DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. David Locke's weekly visit brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Hello, David. James, how are you today? Excellent. That's great to hear. How's my guy PK? Uh, you know, hanging in there, just trying to make it to 10 o'clock. Just to 10 o'clock? And you know, what are you going to do then? Oh, no, I don't want to know. Never mind. I didn't ask. I know exactly what you do at 10 o'clock. I don't need to know more about it. <laughs> well played, oh, David. God. Well played. How did I do that? You nearly stepped in it. Literally. Oh, literally. Yeah. <laughs> Even funnier. I'll just leave you guys alone. <laughs> <laughs> Your work here is done, PK. I always love. I'm just going to like lift up the curtain, but not hopefully not too much. Um, I always love. Every now and then we'll tape a segment. Right? There's reasons why we have to tape a segment. Um, DJ's like, I can't believe you're revealing this. No, that's fine. And we always, and we always, it always has to be at ten fifteen. <laughs> yeah, right. It can never be at ten. <laughs> PK's busy. All right, I, we want to get to you on the draft here because the <laughs> – thank you, PK. The NBA draft is coming up November 18th, 26 days away. So we'll get to you in a second. But first, internal development. Off-season, what can the Jazz add? As I watch first Steph Curry, uh, Damian Lillard, Dame, uh, the guys adding these logo threes um, – it seems like that's the way things are headed. Certainly, we, we, there's dozens of guys who can be a step or a step and a half behind the three-point line and hit a shot. But you can pull guys out another 8 to 10, to, depending on the guy, 12 to 15 feet. I'm thinking with the Jazz pick and roll and watching the way Donovan Mitchell has progressed, that the only thing better than watching him run a pick-and-roll five-on-five would be watching him run a pick-and-roll four-on-four. Is there a Jazz player who could shoot 40% from, I don't know, 30 feet, 35, whatever, who could stretch the defense even more, who would have to be guarded because you can't give up a 40% shot? Joe Ingles comes to mind as an obvious choice, but really any of the young role players, maybe they could add it. I don't know them well enough to know what they can or can't do, given a chance to practice something for three or four months. What do you think? Well, I think Boyan is probably the most natural just because of his pure strength. He's so crazy strong, and so a lot of this has to do with strength. But we also really like Boyan in that corner. So at that point, you're really altering how you're moving the ball and what you're doing. And I think what you're going to see, you know, and, and how, you're, how you're placing players on the floor. Um, the other one, I think, is that it's Mike Con- I actually think it's Mike Conley. Um, you know, he's just such a natural shooter and he's such a good shooter. And if your Donovan's playing on the ball more, then it's Mike Conley. And the reason you might want it to be Mike Conley is I think when you talk about Dane Willard and Steph Curry and all these guys, the big thing that's going to be the story of the league, it was the story of the bubble, is the -the off-the-bounce three and the depth by which they can take the -the off-the-bounce three. So now you're coming off the pick, you get that airspace, and you can pull. And if you can pull from 30... And making that shot, it's really you just have busted the defense. It's simply unguardable. And the only way it's guardable is to hard hedge or to double team the ball handler. And so you're sw- now you're going to swing it. Now maybe you're swinging it to a wide open 30-foot three um, to Mike Conley. Or, but the problem with bringing Boyan up there is now you're swinging it to Boyan. He's not the ball handler you probably want with the ball. 
Um, so that that would be the one thought I have with it. And the nice thing about bringing someone like Boyan out is if somebody has a secondary rim defender, you're able to bring that player out with Boyan. So, um, you know, I, I did I I did a presentation analytically last year um, for some people kind of of where I thought the league was going. And I actually, that was my kind of, you know, gotcha statement was that the, the 35 foot three is, is going to take away mid range jumpers that teams are getting good at taking other things away. And the answer is going to be to actually to take more 30 foot long threes, um, and find a way to get that shot rather than the mid range shot, which is, you know, at 0.8 points per shot. So you only have to be a 30%, uh, long three shooter to be better than that late in the shot clock, and particularly late in the shot clock, if you're get, getting that long three, you've sagged the defense and kicked out, and you hit that long three at thirty percent point nine points late in the shot clock's really good. So the Jazz, uh, what was it uh, about uh, ten days ago or so, or maybe just last week, they make an announcement that they hire uh, Sergi Oliva to the coaching staff, and I got to admit, he comes from the. 76ers, vice president of strategy. I don't know Jack about him. I don't know what he did. I look at his bio. He's got every level of degree that you can have in terms of education, which is very impressive. What do you know about him, and what is the point of hiring him? So I thought the other thing that's really interesting about him when you take that bio is that he used to be a basketball coach. Yeah, yeah. Right, so so you have an ant, you know, I think he was, he had a bunch of coaching years experience. So you have every degree imaginable analytically, and you actually have a background coaching. This has been yep. the problem in the analytics movement is how do you take a bunch of numbers, but actually translate it into coaching. And then I even think there's another level that I think is analytically been the biggest problem is you can do things that are analytically right. And they either can be so uncomfortable look so bad or feel so bad that even if they're analytically correct, they're not worth it. Okay. So an example of that would be the math actually shows that you should like play your five best players and then just toss the other eight minutes of a game and just survive it. That if you put most good teams, if you put your five starters on the floor for 40 minutes together, you'll outscore your opponent by, you know, 10 points in that span. And then you put your crappy bench players together and you'll get outscored. Not crappy, but you put your bench players together. You'll get outscored 17 to 7 in that span. Or, you know, that's a bad because my math, you understand what I'm saying. And you'll still win the game and you'll win it by three or four and you'll, and you'll be fine. But that 17 to 7 stretches adds momentum and is so difficult to handle and that that actually doesn't work analytically so the beauty of of what you're doing here is you have somebody who's actually a basketball coach who kind of understands how to get it across i also think there's just the next level of analytics and a lot of that is if the angle of the pick in the pick and roll is something what does it lead to points west if the first pass goes to a certain point what does it lead to point-wise? If you start in the center of the floor versus on the side of the floor, what does it mean point-wise? There's just a new – there's another level here to go of beyond just you should shoot more threes. And I think that someone like Sergi is leading is going to lead that. Draft is coming up. And if I okay. and if I have my timing, if I have my timing right there, he's he's of a hinky, he's got some hinky Philadelphia era, so he's got to be about as you know hinky. You can say whatever you want about Sam Hinky. He's a genius, 
And he absolutely, his mathematics of basketball were right. So the draft is coming up in 26 days. I got to admit, I haven't done much of anything with it. There was no NCAA tournament to familiarize myself with probably half of the first rounders, I assume, would have been in it, maybe more. Maybe less, actually, this year. Oh, really? And that's how little I I couldn't even tell you that. It's so little. It's just like basketball stopped. You got James Wiseman as a top pick, wasn't playing. Lamelo Ball wasn't playing. There's a kid out of Maccabees, Tel Aviv. There's a kid out of um, France. So none of those players would have been in the tournament. In the draft. and then I don't even remember, um, you know, I, at, you know, if you look at the top picks, there's like two kids out of Florida State. It's not the school. There's, there's a Georgia and an Iowa State and a Dayton and an Auburn and two kids out of Florida State and an Alabama. You would have seen the Villanova kid. Um, so, it, you know, and you would have seen the Kentucky kid. But the, you wouldn't. it's not as much as you would have thought. Yeah. So I'm I'm uh, I'm at a loss here, and now we're in football season. So you know everything's weird. It's 2020, but I'm looking at uh, one of the mock drafts here, and they have the Jazz drafting a a player who uh, is on Barcelona's B team. He's an Argentinian, but he's got size, and it's kind of you know a big wing who can pass and shoot. Uh, are they on to something? What do you What do you think the Jazz are looking for, other than the best player on the board, obviously? So I don't um, I don't know specifically what the Jazz are looking for. I mean, I think um, you know someone once said to me about the draft. I thought this was a really good point. Like you draft like Mia One. Let's take Mia One for example. Late second round pick, and obviously you'd want more out of a first round pick. But Mia One has like a lot of different ways to get on the floor, right? So he he actually was a little bit of a point guard in summer league. He could probably play with the ball in his hands if he had to. He can he can play a little bit of two. He can play a little three. Probably can't do four, right? Like he can he can get on the floor in multiple ways. Contrast that to Tony Bradley, like who really could only play the five, right? And then got behind Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert, and now is getting his opportunity, and we're seeing the growth, but. I think you're looking for a player who has multiple routes to get on the floor, um, particularly because I think you're going to need him to play a little bit. And so I think that's one of the things you're looking at. My overall feeling on the draft, and, and, and I have not done a lot yet. I've, I've watched three players, and I've run the numbers on the top 15 players. Um, and I'll continue to kind of expand on it. And if you'd like to geek out with me on Locked on Jazz, David, you're welcome to. Um, I think this draft is going to be my, – my general take right now is that this draft is going to be really fascinating because having watched um, Josh Green out of Arizona, uh, Jalen Smith out of Maryland, um, Jaden McDaniels out of Washington, those are all players that are being talked about 23. There's something to really like about all of them. Like, I, I really like Josh Green. Like, I don't think he's going to be a star, but I, I really like him. Um. I've done a lot of draft previews where I've watched players. In fact, the year we traded the pick for George Hill, like I didn't have a single player that I liked in that draft. I thought Jakob Pertle would be a really good pro. And after that, I was kind of empty on players I liked in that draft. Like you're watching and you're just not seeing anything. Like I'm having the opposite experience right now on the players in their twenties. Like Jaden McDaniel's got all sorts of problems. Like, you know, he doesn't make good decisions. His shots kind of broken and, he has no idea how to play with teammates because in high school he scored 50 points in a game and like that's what he just did and he hadn't he never translated out of that mode. 
He's also 6'9", 220, and like an Adonis for a body. So, you know what? If at 23 I'm getting a guy who's 6'9", 220, and an Adonis for the body, I'll try to figure him out. You know, Josh Green, I never saw him get on top of a rim. I don't think he's an elite athlete, but I saw him move the ball, play with teammates, shoots it really well. I don't think he's got – I never saw him be able to get his shoulder by anyone. I never saw him be able to beat anybody in isolation. Okay, so he's not an elite athlete, but he's good. He defends. He gets into guys. He's 6'5", and he plays the game right and plays it hard, and he can really shoot it. Like, I'd love him next to Donovan as he develops. So I think what's interesting on this draft is it's not top-heavy. Like, I ran the numbers on Anthony Edwards, the guard out of Georgia, who might be the number one pick. Like, it's – I. I don't think I could draft him number one. I'm not sure I could draft him top 10 off those numbers. I mean, this is a guy whose catch and shoot percentile this year was in the 32nd percentile of all college players. He shot 42% effective field goal percentage on catch and shoot. And I'm supposed to draft that like number one, two, or three? No way. So I think this draft is going to be really fascinating. One, because I think it's going to flip-flop. I think there's going to be, you know, eye of the beholder. And so a player could go 15 or 25 very easily, maybe even 10 or 20. Um, and then I think over time, I just have no feeling having run the early numbers on the players that someone like Kerry Lewis Jr. out of Alabama isn't going to be better than Anthony Edwards or that Siddiqui Bay out of Villanova isn't actually one of the top five best players in this draft and he's going to go 13th. Yeah, as I look at this and look at the draft, you know, you just go to the top 10. Well, you put Golden State out of there and they're picking second. But the rest is Minnesota, Charlotte, Chicago, Cleveland, Atlanta, Detroit, New York, Washington, Phoenix. Seems like these teams have sucked for a decade. So why even bother with the draft? Why not try to build it other ways? Because it doesn't seem like it's working because it seems like it's the same teams that are in the top or in the lottery every year. Well, you you generally don't win with young players, right? Um, Unless you hit on someone who's awfully special. And even... Then you have, you know, Carl Anthony Towns is pretty special, and they haven't figured out a win with him. Andrew Wiggins turned out to not be special. Um, you know, Cleveland's got Colin Sexton and Darius Garland and all these young guys, and, and maybe at some point we're going to see them emerge. Atlanta's going to be super interesting to watch because Trey Young is special. Um, and then does Kevin Herter, and I loved DeAndre Hunter numerically last year. I, you know, I just watched, ran the numbers on him, and I think he'll still be really, really good. Um, his numbers out of college were just too good to not be good in the pros. So, um, you know, I, I I agree with what you're saying. I mean, some of it's ownership, some of it's coaching, some of it's also like hard to hit. Like you just, you know, and suddenly when you're when you're drafting six, like you actually don't have a lot of like the chances of hitting on at six for a franchise changing player is pretty low. The one thing I will promise you, by the way, is that Minnesota, Golden State, and who's third in the draft? Charlotte. Um, every player they work out for the next month, they're going to be blown away by how incredibly awesome that. Oh my gosh, the greatest they've ever worked out. Since all of them are desperate to trade their pick, they're going to try to do everything they can. Yeah. Like usually, you hear nothing about draft workouts. This year, you're going to hear like every draft workout was the most incredible thing they've ever experienced. That player is amazing. We couldn't be more excited to have him. Please trade for our pick. He's David Locke. He joins us every week, every every week right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone, brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it. My pleasure, guys. Don't call PK at 1010. I will not do so. Excellent. Thanks, David. See you. 
When we come back, Lincoln Kennedy, Raider analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. Are the Raiders playing this weekend? What does he know? We'll talk to him next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Eric Weddle right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. What do you think of their decision to bench Fitzpatrick and put Tua in there as the starter? I mean, that is a sad reality of our business and the emotional side of the game. Uh, it is a job, and when you give it your all, and then you got fired, and then having to muster up enough energy and suppress your emotions to go sit in a team meeting and then go sit in your quarterback's room, an offensive team meeting, and you're the guy that got fired. You're the guy that got demoted. It's not an easy thing to deal with by any means. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Football Fridays here on the Zone Sports Network and coverage of the Las Vegas Raiders game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Sunday is brought to you by America First Credit Union, the exclusive home of the official Raiders debit card. Same great features and benefits, now with silver and black. Learn more at americafirst.com slash Raiders. 2020, being the year that it is, PK, has led to many things that we don't normally see, including... Sunday Night Football going to the old uh, the, uh, flex card pretty early in the season. The Raiders game, the Raiders game with the Bucks was supposed to be the Sunday night game, but they swapped it out. It'll be a Sunday afternoon game on Fox now if it's played. Yeah, right, if it's played, we hope. And now the Sunday night game is now the Seahawks undefeated playing the 4-2 and Arizona Cardinals, which is a pretty good game in its own right. We're joined now by Lincoln Kennedy, Raiders radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst as well. Lincoln, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you today? Just adapting to change everywhere. <laughs> You're not the only one. Right, exactly. And so uh, we just brought everybody up to date on the, the Raider game being swapped out of the Sunday night time slot into Sunday afternoon. Right. But there's right. the question of... You know, is it going to play, be played? I can't imagine that you can answer that for sure, but with four starting offensive linemen and a safety on the reserve COVID list, do you kind of have a, you know, an 80-20 feel about it, 60-40? I doubt you want to guarantee anything. No, no, not, I can't guarantee anything, but I can tell you from the information I know, here's what we're up against. Unlike other cases like the Tennessee Titans or New England Patriots, um, the NFL is, is not going to give any uh, benefit to the Raiders because it was player ignorance and error. What happened was Trenton Brown, the tackle has been placed on COVID, was found out that he wasn't wearing his uh, contact tracing bracelet uh, when he was at the facility and when he was exposed to uh, Damon Arnett, who also tested out positive. Now, <clears throat> the reason why that's become so significant is because the NFL has said in, in meetings and, and we're talking in the last couple of days that because your player messed up, it's not a medical reason, it was just his ignorance choosing not to wear the bracelet. Now you have to take the precautions with the five other players that you're referring to. It's just a necessary precaution because they, they, they've shared the same. The NFL cannot track how much time Trent Brown spent with those guys. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So Abram and Trent Brown are pretty good friends. They're pretty tight. So that's why Jonathan Abram, the safety, was one of the ones that sent home. Obviously, with the offensive line, the four other guys in close contact, that's the reason why they were sent home. Um, and now your hope is that they won't, find about the, they won't find out about these five guys until Sunday morning. 
So then the, the notion came up, well, why wouldn't they just push the game back to Monday? Because the NFL has already viewed that because you had a player who was ignorant, that's going to be reviewed as a reward. You don't get a reward. So, you know, if they come back Sunday morning and they can't play, I've made the argument that I think John Gruden should treat this like a preseason game and sit Derek Carr and just go with his backup because he's got his backup offensive line in there. I wouldn't risk my franchise quarterback on a game like this. It's only one game. It doesn't kill you. The worst you can come out is 3-3, three and, three and three, right? So to me, it's if you lose your franchise quarterback or you lose your quarterback to injury or something like that, some little mishap, your season is in jeopardy. So I wouldn't take the chance. So under this scenario, they're going to play the game. We just don't know which players will be available. Yes, they will have enough offensive linemen because that was the thing I wondered: is well, are there going to be so many offensive linemen who can't play that they can't play the game? Well, they they do have a backup group, and they had to bring the reserves off of um, um, practice squad. Okay, so they literally only have seven offensive linemen which is usually what you kind of dress. In the worst-case scenario, it's eight. But you just have to survive and get through this game. So the, you say the reserve, the practice squad, is it their own practice squad, or are they looking to bring up guys uh, from other practice you squads? You wouldn't have time to get them acclimated into the offense if you brought anyone else. Okay. I know they're searching the wire, but they can't bring anybody else in and get them up to speed to play. Uh, they wouldn't know the plays. They wouldn't know the playbook. So they're using their own practice squad. So have you fitted yourself for some pads? Well, I already told him I'm available. Just, just, <laughs> I'll sign away my waiver. Just give me the minimum. I'm good. Uh, and then, unfortunately, we, we would have to stop doing our business because I would make a little bit of money. <laughs> you know, one thing when you uh, when you stop playing and you're just a year or two removed, but you you see guys playing and you realize, you know, the mistakes younger players are making and all that. Right. Jeff Hornacek played for the Jazz and the Sixers and the Suns in the, through the 90s in the NBA. Mm-hmm. You may remember him. And so he retired in Utah, and he's very popular here. He'd been here, you know, seven years or whatever it was. <clears throat> and I saw, I saw him probably like a year and a half after he retired, and he said he was in a pickup game with NBA players, and he right? was crushing them. He <laughs> says, I was hitting shots. I was, and I'm like, what did I retire for? He says, they could not guard me. And he says, the next morning I got up, and I remembered exactly why I retired. My knees True were story. killing they, look, I, I already relived that. You know, in 2007, I, I got myself back in shape. I thought, you know what, I could go back and help the team. I was convinced into playing a year of arena ball, which was, uh, you know, commend the guys who do it. I just couldn't do it. It was so far from what I was used to. Uh, and I felt after every game why I quit in the first place. So I would give it, you know, I would go out for the old, old, old club for the Raiders and give it a try. And I'd shoot, I'd move as much as, and, and more than Trent Brown typically does when he's out there. So I know I could be a better man than somebody else out there. <laughs> so with the guys who didn't do what they're supposed to do, is it just a situation of just a temporary uh, ignorance or negligence or what? Well, again, the, the only ignorance that falls onto Trent Brown because he wasn't wearing the contact bracelet. So when you enter the facility these days, they've got this bracelet that everybody has to put on. And it shows, it, it shows how long you've been in contact with someone else. It you know, has their name attached to it. So, for example, if you, we were working together in the studio and we had to wear those bracelets, it would show how much time we spent in the studio with one another or how much time we spent around one another. And it allows you to trace to see who might be exposed to the possible virus. The fact is, like with the offensive line, the way they do it in the NFL, the starting offensive line group, which is five guys, and a coach meets in one room, the reserves and a coach meet in another room. They 
keep them separate just in case something like this happens. So the reason why the four offensive linemen were sent home, Gabe Jackson, Rodney Hudson, um, Denzel Good, and uh, Col- Colton Miller, the reason why they were sent home is because they were part of Trent Brown's group. And so they have to go through the five days of COVID protocol to become eligible to play again. That means they have to have five days uh, consist- consistently of uh, negative tests. Uh, Jonathan Abram went home because they know that through, through the history, they know that Abram, the safety, and Trent Brown were close friends. They, they did a lot of things together. So, again, he went home on a precautionary tale that he has to have the five days of COVID tests uh, negative as well. So the only thing I know of John Gruden is what I saw with all the faces he made on the sideline when he was coaching, the Monday Night Football mm-hmm. booth, and the quarterback interviews he did for ESPN, which were always excellent. But I just picture him in the middle of a locker room right now. Where you bleep and bracelets, you bleep, and he making yeah. faces. He's just his head's got to be exploding over this. Without a doubt. I mean, the fact is that it comes on the heels of the bye. This would have been better served, say, if it happened last week at the same time rather than this week. The conundrum that the Raiders are under is just how do you proceed forward? You, you, they've said all the right things. The coach is, well, we've got to move forward. Next man up, the show guys go on, must go on. But the NFL didn't do him any favors by taking him off a Sunday night and moving him to Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock. So literally the time, time cycle goes like this, guys. The, the guys can't get cleared. The, the players that we're talking about can't get cleared until 8 a.m. Sunday morning. The game is at 1 p.m. Sunday afternoon. So they're literally, since Wednesday, they have done nothing. They've been isolated. They have not worked out. They have not gotten treatment. They can't do anything because they have to stay isolated for those five days and negative tests. Somebody goes to their home, tests them, and that's how they, that's how they get. But they have to stay isolated. They can't go to a gym or anything like that. So they've literally been sitting on their tails for five days straight prior to this game. That's why I'm saying you have to treat it like a preseason game. In your study of the opponent, which is the Buccaneers, have you noticed any form of slippage in Tom Brady? No. But at the same point, with him getting older, the arm strength isn't there like it once was 20 years ago. That's to be obvious. But this is not a team. You know, there's been so much focus on the Buccaneers about their offense and the playmakers of offense, and rightfully so. This, this is a team that's led, that's led by its defense. This young, feisty defense that Todd Bowles has, aggressive defense, is, I think, second in sacks in the league, uh, second in, in yards given up on the ground, like with 70 average per game. Um, so this is a defense-led team, and they're going to be aggressive. Tom Brady will get his, you know that, but it's not like he's going to strike up the – he's not Patrick Mahomes right now currently. He's not going to throw that many touchdowns. or have, that's, that's not their game plan. This is a defense-led team. So the question is, who do people believe in as Super Bowl teams coming out of the NFC? The Seahawks, 5-0, and obviously have a ton of credibility. The Packers at 4-1 and have a ton of credibility. But then you're looking at the 5-1 and Bears, the 4-2 and Bucks. Uh, the four and two Cardinals and Rams are, are any of these teams really on the same tier as the Seahawks and Packers because they're right in public perception. But when you you know put on that ex NFL hat and you look at the the video, what do you see? Well, the the Seahawks have the number one offense in the league, and so they can score a lot of points and they can keep pace with you, even though their defense is poor. So that, I think that's that. I think they're there. They're they're a team that's capable of going a long way. If you learned anything about the not the Forty Nineers, the Packers uh, last week when they played the the, the the Bucks, you saw the fact that the same thing that hampered this team in the NFC Championship game 
still came true. Todd Bowles brought a lot of what we call pinch blitzes where they had outside guys because they, the, they know the Packers like to run a lot of pay, play action, bootstrap and stuff. And it totally neutralized Aaron Rodgers. That was the same thing that hurt them in the, in the NFC Championship game against the 49ers. Plus, the offensive line, once, uh, once their left tackle went down, couldn't stop a, a breeze. So you, I, I still, I'm going to put the Bucks ahead of the Packers. And I think the Bucks are a legitimate team, but like I said, based on that defense. And that offense with the, the, uh, you know, Brady at the captain doesn't make a lot of mistakes. So they're going to be in more games than they're going to be out. I think the, the Cardinals are an up-and-coming team, but I still think they're a year away. The NFC is so turbulent, and, and I don't give a mu- as much credit to the Bears, even though their defense is lights out, because I just don't trust Foles down the line. Um, so the, the hierarchy of the pecking order is going to be, is going to be hard to determine until we get probably about week nine, because uh, then by that time you'll have a total proof of product of what you're dealing with. You talk about playing the backup. That's Marcus Mariota with the Raiders. But how, or Nathan what Peterman. Or Peterman, yeah. I'm just looking at their depth chart, and they list yeah. Mariota. Uh, but these doing. backup dudes, without any uh, preseason games, what type of uh, pl- not necessarily playing shape, but just being able to come in and, and play and be effective? Because I, I would imagine they're, they're not getting a lot of reps. You know, the whole, my whole argument about playing the backups or treating it like a preseason is just to get through it. I'm not looking to, you know, like I said, the worst-case scenario for me if you do it that way is that you lose the game and you're 3-3 three and three after six games. Uh, 500, that's not bad. Um, it's not great, but it's not bad. But the alternative is if you're forced to start your backup line because well, you just don't feel comfortable about the guys who are sitting down, you don't want to risk them. Because you think about this, guys. You don't have any workouts. You don't have any practice. You had guys who were literally sitting on their couch for five days, and then you go out there. You go out there and ask them to play an NFL game less than four hours later when they come back to the facility. I mean, being realistic, there's there's a true risk of injury right there. You know, uh, whether it's soft tissue or otherwise, and I don't want to risk losing my quarterback. Playing backup offensive line in front of my starting quarterback, if he goes down, the season is is pretty much lost. So it's, you're really damned if you do, damned if you don't, the way you look at it. But it's, it's just one of those unfortunate situations because one player chose not to wear his tracking bracelet. The NFL protocols come in, and a, show, a true show of irresponsibility on his part has affected his whole team. It is an NFC game, so although it's a loss, there's no tiebreakers involved. And after this, it's four straight AFC games. It's right. not just that, it's the Browns, and then it's three divisional games. Right. So as far as not wanting to get anyone beat up, the stakes, I mean, every NFL game matters, but Certainly. the stakes are about to get higher in the next month. Well, that's, that's why, you know, this thing, when it first dropped on Wednesday, guys, it kept me up for a while because I'm like, what are you going to do? I, wanted, I mean, I've always been analytical like that. I'm thinking to Gruden, what do you do? What do you do in this situation? If you got to play the scenario of worst case happens, what do you do? And even if you do get all these guys back because you're not getting them back to Sunday morning, you know, it would be different if they, if, if they move the game to Monday. But after talking with NFL officials and figuring out why they wouldn't move the game to Monday, it, it's like this is the only logical thing that I think you can do. Now the problem becomes, you know, a guy like Derek Carr or, or John Gruden, they're, because they're so competitive, they're just like, Yo, well, well, we'll get through it, we'll figure it out. And I think that's the wrong attitude to have. Don't stick out your chest with pride. I need you to be realistic and logical. What's the truth thing that can happen if you choose to proceed? 
In the last couple of years, you know, quarterback obviously is always the attention and it gets a lot of the focus and talk. And I've been saying that I felt like, you know, we list the top quarterbacks, we know who they are, but I always felt like Russell Wilson was on the periphery of that list, even though I felt like he wasn't getting his due. I felt like he belonged. When you list the best quarterbacks in the NFL, okay, I think he's right there. I mean, Mahomes, we know what he is, but then everybody else, I thought Wilson should be in that category. Is this the season, if it goes as it's been going, that we really see in terms of recognition widespread that Russell Wilson really is as big time as big time gets? When you when you look at the the sort of order uh, as it proceeds, you tend to equate, you know, the best with the the best records, uh, championships, long playoff runs, so on and so forth. Well, you know, for Russell's pedigree, he's been a part of all that. The, the problem is, is that there have been other guys over the past couple of years that have just put up such stellar numbers that you couldn't ignore. I mean, you think about last year, Lamar Jackson, what he was doing. It's not that Russell Wilson had a bad year. It's just that Lamar Jackson's numbers were so much better for what they were doing. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then the year before was Patrick Mahomes, and you couldn't ignore what he was doing because, I mean, he was just tearing down everybody's offenses and stuff like that. So, I mean, all these things that go. But I, to answer your point, I do think this is a year where Russell Wilson is going to get his, his fair share. Now, I will say this. Um, about the, and it doesn't have anything to do with Russell Wilson per se. But I think it's a huge mistake if they go after Antonio Brown, if they put him on that roster, because I just don't trust his mental ability. I don't. Right. And 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 I hate to say that about you know somebody not being a, but he has shown through whether it's on field or off field, his discretions have torn up teams in places that he's been. And I just don't understand why, if you're the number one offense already in the league, why you feel that you need to bring in somebody, tremendous talent, when he acts right. But can you guarantee to me that he's going to act right? And that, that to me, can affect a quarterback's MVP candidacy or run, if you know what I mean. Are yeah. you okay with the Chiefs bringing in Le'Veon Bell for the same reasons? Le'Veon Bell was, was a little, in, in my mind, a little bit different because right now they don't have to play Le'Veon Bell. And Le'Veon Bell has been a disruption in the locker room, obviously, with Pittsburgh and New York, but it's hard to really gauge off of the Jets because the Jets are a disaster. I felt that he was ousted out of uh, Pittsburgh because he handled it poorly about wanting to become a free agent. The way if, if, if I, and, and here's the thing, if I'm Le'Veon Bell, and I guess you can make the same argument for Antonio Brown, but if I'm Le'Veon Bell and I'm going into this situation, I make this offense stronger. And Andy Reid has said, you know what, you're not the main guy. You're just a backup role, a utility man, and we're going to use you accordingly. I've got my money, and I'm just trying to get, if I'm Le'Veon Bell, I'm just trying to get through the season to go to the free agency, to test the market, to see what I can get. I, I, I am going to be right, uh, and we'll see how it goes. They're terrible, and they lost, so is it funny that Daniel Jones tripped and fell, or can they not oh joke gosh. about that in the Giants locker it, it room? Just, it, when it rains, it pours. It's it's so funny when I watched it last night. I, I was actually drinking some drinking some water because I was coming through the airport and I was watching it on my phone and I spit out my water because it was so funny. You don't see that typically in the pros, but um, you know, out of the New York programs, guys, the, the Jets are Jets are a disaster. The Giants have some hope and maybe some some vision or some leadership, even though I don't know how they're going to proceed forward, but. The NFC East in a whole is a joke, is a mockery to football because, you know, those teams that played that, that poorly, it was an interesting game because they made it close at the end, but uh, it, was, it was so funny. It was just hilarious. 
He's Lincoln Kennedy, Raider analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. Uh, a couple weeks from now, we will be talking Pac-12 with you, Lincoln. We're looking Woo-hoo. forward to that. Thanks, guys. It's been All a pleasure. Right. Thanks, Lincoln. Lincoln Kennedy joining us every week right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up in about uh, 15 minutes, Scotty G, play-by-play voice of the Utah State Aggies, will join us. Did you give him the wake-up call? You got him going? I sent him a courtesy text. Good. We'll Scotty see. G did our show as a producer, and the thing PK and I, well, we learned multiple things about Scotty, but the one thing we learned is mornings aren't really his thing. Not at the top of his list. But Scotty is going to join us coming up. The Aggies are at Boise State for the season opener Saturday night. That's 20 minutes away. Stay with us. Nothing else matters, fellas. Every day we go to work. Football is back, and the Zone Sports Network has you covered as the Cougars continue to bulldoze through their schedule and the Utes and Aggies get set for the start of their season. We gotta go faster, faster! Nobody will bring you better coverage of your team than the Zone Sports Network. This is your home of the best college football coverage in Utah. Turn me up all day! 97.5-1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Action Plumbing, Heating, and Electrical. Spring into action now. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call Action today at 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333. Sneaky. Uh, yes. I got something for you. You do? What do you have? We're talking NBA draft? Yep. And it is less than a month away. It is. I mean, if this was a less than a month away in May, we'd be talking about it nonstop. <laughs> I know, but it's football season, and the World Series is going on. It's 2020. I know, I know. Nothing makes sense. I agree with you 100% there. But I called up NBADraft.net to yeah. see what was going on. And the Jazz drafting 23rd. They are selecting a 6'3", 190-pound guard out of Arizona by the name of Nico Mannion. Yeah. <laughs> Now, I personally couldn't care less if they draft Nico Mannion, uh, but I would very much like to see that because our friend Pace has said that he's probably going to take up residence in the community where his son goes. And I would love to have more Pace. interaction with Pace. Yeah, I know. That would be great. I miss that. I, I miss talking to him and learning about basketball from him. I like his attitude. I like his style. I like everything about the guy, and I would love to have him be in our community. If his son's in the community, great. But I want Pace back in the community. I still talk to him once in a while. Um, they don't know what's going to happen with the draft. Uh, he says probably half the league's interested in Nico. Uh, it goes back to what David Locke said, is that uh, David said there are players that he could see going 10th or going 20th. There's a guy he could see going 15th or going 25th. And so when Nico's got half the league talking to him, you know, nobody knows. And it goes back to the other thing David said is there are going to be teams, rarely do teams want to trade out of the start of the draft, but this draft, and I think this goes right to Nico, is that this draft is seen as uh, light on stars but heavy on talent. There's a lot of nice players. There's no one that anyone perceives as a generational player. You, know? you may not get an all-star, but teams drafted late in the first round could get a rotation guy. You know, I don't think Nico, and you don't know what's going to happen in somebody's career, but I don't think people are looking at Nico and saying there's a 10-time All-Star. Now, that probably, you know, honestly irritates Nico and makes him want to go back to the gym and work harder. Um, but I think a lot of people look at Nico and say, he's a rotation guy in the NBA. 
And so, but I, but I think what they say about Nico is what they're saying about ten or twenty guys in this draft. It would be awesome yeah, to have him care. here. I've never known. I've never known an NBA player when he was in elementary school. And I had dozens of conversations with Nico. This would be so weird to have to interview Nico after a game. That would be hilarious. I haven't had any. I've talked to Pace. I haven't talked to Nico. You know, they moved when he was, I think he was going into junior high. So I haven't had any contact with Nico through junior high and high school. Um, but uh, you're right. To have Pace back would be a blast. I just um, want his dad back. I was the kid. The kid will go where he goes, and he'll get the opportunity. Right. and then it's up yeah. to the kid to show what he can do. Uh, he'll get an opportunity. That's that's a guarantee. So, as Pace himself said, it doesn't really matter. It's what you do with the opportunity that you get. That's all that matters, and that will happen. So, uh, Joe Blow can say, "Oh, he's the tenth pick, or he's the fourth pick of the second round." None of that stuff matters. All that matters is when you get your opportunity, which you will get. What do you, do, what with you it? do with it? Yeah, I think I think Nico's gotten that speech from Pace. <laughs> well, that, that's literally all that matters. <laughs> right? It doesn't matter who takes you where and all this stuff. It matters. Are you going to get an up? Op- the opportunity is far more important than all that other stuff, and the opportunity will be there, even if it's not there with the first team that get, drafts him and they move him. Somebody else, he moves along. I mean, Chauncey Billups sort of sucked in the beginning, and then at by the end, he was Mr. Big Shot. <laughs> so it doesn't really matter, that stuff. So I'm not really concerned about that. He'll get his name called, and he'll be in a camp whenever that camp starts up, and then he'll have an opportunity to do his thing. And as long as his thing is good enough, he's good to go. I just want the dad in our community. That's what I'm excited about. So I was out at, uh, th- this will make sense in a second, I know it won't right away, but I was out uh, pre-pandemic, I guess it was last summer, summer of 2019, uh, and RSL was having a training session, and then they're going to make a couple players available after practice, right? So it was really hot, and so um, the players in the locker room, instead of going outside to do the interview, they wanted to do them indoors where they have these two indoor practice facilities. And so we were all standing outside where it was really hot. And they're like, uh, guys, go indoor. We're going to do the interviews in there today uh, where it's cooler. And so we, <laughs> so we go in there. And unbeknownst to me, the uh, RSL was dealing with there's some the potential to bring a young European player over or whatever. And, and the guy was there with some agent and family. And I didn't know any of that. And I go walking in. And I see the, the then GM walking towards me and another, and I, hey guys, hey guys. And then coming behind him are a couple more people. And one of them is way too tall to be a soccer player, but he's backlit. So I can't really, and my eyes are adjusting because it's bright outside on the white concrete and it's dark indoors. I kind of adjusting. All of a sudden, I realize that person is tall and skinny. That can only be one person. And sure enough, as my eyes adjust, I'm like, what are you doing here? And I got to tell you, the RSL management, their heads whipped around like, what what are you yelling at our guests for? It was pace. (laughs) What are you doing here? And it turned out his wife, Gaia, it was extended family of hers. And it didn't end up working out. But that's the only time I've seen him in five years. And it was great to see him. Yeah, probably talked for like about. like three minutes there, and they were just looking like, "Wait a minute, what just happened? How how do these guys know each other?" <laughs> like, 
No, we worked together it's for small five world. years. It After is. After all. There it is. Hey, we were talking earlier this morning about bowls. I know we got to go to break and bring Scotty in here in a second and, and talk Aggies and Boise State in the opener. We were talking bowls with the Holiday Bowl shutting down for one year and the Red Box Bowl. That's two of the eight bowl tie-ins for the Pac-12. The Bahamas and Hawaii Bowl have also called their games off this year. And now uh, Mark Bloodshun who uh, I don't know who he is, but he is... Uh, oh, Marky B? Marky B. He's a longtime writer for the Boston Globe. Boston Globe. Uh, he grew up in Jersey, PK, but he left and went to school in Miami, you know, somewhere warmer. Oh, wait, you do understand that. 30 years working for the Dallas Morning News and the Boston Globe, and he says no official word yet, but he tweets out, startup bowl game at Fenway Park is likely to be postponed, as well as new bowls in L.A. and Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And the L.A. Bowl game, which is because of the stadium there, we were talking about these bowl games are driven. TV has time slots, and stadiums, expensive stadiums, need events to, to pay them off. So the uh, pay off all the debt that comes with, uh, with building those things. So that would be seven bowl games if he's right about all three of those. And it makes sense to me that he would be right about all three of those. Why would you start a bowl game this year? Uh, yeah, I'm getting to the point wondering why would you play a bowl game this year? Maybe the high-end bowls? Yes. Certainly the New Year's Six, but then beyond that, maybe another handful of bowls? But That's why I'm thinking that I am, I'm just not going to make any pronouncements about any program, no matter what happens this year. DJ and PK, we're going to make pronouncements about the Aggies for week one. Nothing bigger than that. We'll talk with Scotty G next. Utah State of Boise State tomorrow night. Game kicks off at 5 o'clock on FS1. Scotty's going to have the pregame at 4 o'clock on 1280 The Zone, and then he'll call the game, and he'll join us next. Stay with us.